1: Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns, on mobile apps, or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform, and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. Hey everybody, welcome back to marketing trends. I am extremely honored to have a, what I would say is the triple OG marketing executive. Eric Toda is here in the virtual studio. It's real, it's actually real. And let me tell you a little bit about Eric before I I pass the mic over to him. Eric is a marketing leader, a brilliant marketing leader. He's an angel investor, and he's an active advocate for the Asian American community, which we're definitely gonna get in today. Uh, This amazing human being has held previous brand and digital marketing leadership roles at companies you may have heard of, Stitch Fix, Gap, Airbnb, Snapchat, and a small fitness company called Nike. Uh, his work has been awarded by Cannes Lions, Webby's, Clios, amongst others. Um, this human is just active in this space and now sitting at the helm of of marketing, really global marketing, so for social and meta, and also uh, head of Meta Prosper, which I wanna get into as well. So Eric, welcome to Marketing Trends. Super stoked to have you, man. How you doing?
0: I'm good, man. Uh, I, don't, I hope I live up to that. To that intro, that's the, that's one of the, <laughs> some of the nicest things anyone's ever said about me, man.
1: Well, look, we're honored to have you, and you know, you've had an obviously an incredible ride in marketing, and you've been exposed to, I'm sure, some interesting perspectives and strategies along the way. Now you're at Meta, you're involved there, you're doing other things, but um, with kind of what's happening in your world right now. What are you kind of most excited about right now? Like what's really popping in your world right now? Yeah, I,
0: there's a lot happening. And I, I just wanna say this, when I joined marketing years ago, almost two decades ago, I always thought it was going to be very glamorous, you know, like, a, like Madison Avenue, Don Draper's things. You, you approve some things and then you're at lunch for like four hours <laughs> drinking martinis. Um, Marketing has never been harder than it's ever been than right now. Platforms are changing. Regulations are changing. um, Consumers are changing. And it's also one of the most exciting times to be a marketer because nothing is predictable. So if you are a marketer that thrives on unpredictability, that thrives on change, that thrives on being dynamic when it comes to decisions that you're making, this is the time for you. And so I think what excites me the most is... I think you're starting to see a pendulum start to shift in many ways between revenue and ROI, and obviously brand. And I think that deals with obviously economic conditions. I think that deals with cyclical conditions of uh, investments and and life cycles of of companies. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. So I think what a what, what excitement what excitement that I have is more for the opportunity to continue to be a part of the evolution of marketing and how. Generally speaking, and not to oversimplify what we do, how you literally build connections with consumers now, and how you build consu- connections with consumers into the future, because they will remember what you're doing now, you know, as they continue to go on their journey. So that I think that's what excites me the most right now.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with you, and what I've heard, you know, and talking to a lot of marketing leaders, and you, you look at a modern day, you know, VP CMO, head of marketing and the skill sets and abilities like that they have to have now today are just so vastly different than in you know <laughs> previous years and you have someone now who like yourself really has to have this this connection and balance of like right brain and left brain you know where i think in the past you you could have been more strong in one or the other and that was okay now to be relevant and to continue to you know drive the impact you want to drive as a marketing leader it's like you have to be good at both
0: you absolutely have to. Um, I mean, you have to be good at both for sure, right? I think there's an analytical side of marketing that is absolutely necessary now. You know, I look at the advent of ad tech and making sure you target the right people with the right message at the right time. Like that is still relatively new. We have to remember that. In my lifetime, there was a time in which you would be shown an ad that had no relevancy to you and you were totally okay with it. Um I think that time has now has changed for sure. Right. And I also look at understanding how that comes into play and how you optimize, because before you could just put a billboard up and you're, and you're good. You're you're good. You you did your job, right? Our jobs right now are to put a billboard up and change that within 30 seconds, change that within five seconds, you know, so, so that you perfect it and iterate it on every single way that you can, every nuance that you can so that it, It reflects the consumer more, it it, it attracts the consumer more, and and that's a tough thing to do. But it's not just about left and right brain understanding that. It's also about the nuances of Mm -hmm. how that ad got there. And you need to understand how that ad got there to be an effective CMO. Meaning it's not just an idea that you need to come up with. You need to know the process at which that idea will come to life operationally, whether it be... Uh, A media plan, whether it be the tools that you have, whether it be the teams that you have to optimize that ad, you need to know, in many ways, be a GM versus just a brand marketer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes the role of the CMO or anybody in marketing today so dynamic than it was 10, 15 years ago. It's that you are running an entire business versus just a business unit and you, you are responsible for that business and 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 I do think that's what makes us you know many in many cases leaders in the future because the ask of CMOs now are so much more than they were again decades ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, spot on. Um, it's clear that I mean obviously we you know we introduced you and you know your background is is like a who's who of modern marketing innovation. I mean some epic brands Airbnb, Gap, Nike Snap, Facebook, Opal and even like a chairperson role with the Smithsonian, which I think is super interesting. Um, and that doesn't even you know account for this extensive list of advisory roles that you have. So I don't know how you're sleeping, but um, <laughs> I have to ask with a portfolio like this, what drives you to keep innovating today?
0: You know, the, one of the things of why you listed out all those organizations is because each one satisfies and fills my creative cup. In a way that only one cannot. And one of the greatest CMOs I've ever worked for, Jonathan Mildenhall, um, always challenged me to fill my creative cup, whether that be through writing, painting, going for a walk or, you know, finding ways that you can impact the community in our industry. And that's when, you know, I started to advise more companies. That's when I started to invest more companies because in many cases, my nine to five job will fulfill me to a certain point but there are, there are constraints maybe we're not risk averse like maybe we're less risk averse maybe we don't are only focused on this you know side of the business and if i can advise a company that can show me another side of the business or has more risk tolerance then my creative cup is full And so my desire to do more across the industry, across more organizations is is truly to inspire me and keep me good in every aspect, because I'm getting ideas from a lot of different places. I'm seeing problems from a lot of different places, but I'm the biggest thing is I'm seeing solutions so that in any way, shape, or form, I could bring a solution from one, one organization to another. The industry is stronger. I feel like I'm a better marketer. I feel like I'm a better leader because of that. And, you know, ultimately, if you look at some of the best board directors for the Fortune 500, similar DNA, they don't just linear in a linear fashion, do one thing, they find ways to contribute, they find ways to gain experience, and they find ways, biggest thing is to gain more perspective, so that when you get asked, say you're on the board of Disney, I have this one problem, and we need more revenue for our parks and in you know, our, our parks and theaters you can think out of the box because you've advised, you've invested, and you've sat on other boards to say, ah, here's one thing you're not thinking about. And that's why they hired you as a board director. So I I think it just keeps my creative cup full, but it keeps me sharp because I don't just stay still in what I do.
1: Mm. Before we get into Meta Prosper, I want to stay in this vein with you because I just rewind the clock for us. Like, Was that kind of as, as as a kid, were you like that? Were you always like, at, like were you like, okay, I got this. That's a really cool, I'm gonna go there. Oh wait, that's that. Like, what did that, what was that creative expression and this desire to obviously grow and develop as a human that probably comes from before you started working, but was that something you your parents instilled in you or have you always been that way? What did it look like when you were younger?
0: What you described <laughs> is why on my progress reports, when I was growing up, always said, uh, "Easily distracted." <laughs> <laughs> or hard time focusing. I think I have a hyperactive mind, and I'm always thinking about something, I'm always doing something, but over the course of my career and my life, I've learned to harness that to make impact while embracing, you know my hyperactivity when it comes to what's happening in my head. I think... When I was younger, I had a hard time doing that. And I think that's why a lot of teachers said I had a hard time focusing. But over the course of my career and, and my life, I've been able to focus better, but also harness that insatiable thirst to not just do one thing, to do five things at once and do them extremely well. Um, I could tell you right now in a period of one hour, I'm having seven different conversations with seven different organizations sometimes. Right. Especially on like a Saturday, like just I'm helping them make decisions. I'm helping give an opinion. I'm, I'm helping them introduce to someone else. And it works for me because that's how my mind works like chemically. Um, but it doesn't work for everybody else. So I think, you know, I've just learned to harness what many probably would have considered back then in the nineties um, a deficit or handicap. And I've learned to harness it to, you know, to propel myself forward, my community forward and the industry forward.
1: If you had to say like the thing that you cultivated along the way, was it, was it curiosity, the thing that you, that you cultivated? you feel like that's really drove you through this or was it just, you want to learn more or what was like the thing that you, yeah. Cause it seems like you've certainly cultivated something to get here. What is that?
0: Growth. I want to mm-hmm. say growth. Okay. I think. Um, you know, across the course of my career, you meet a lot of people that are just good. They read a certain they made they they hit a certain level and they're like, "This is it. This is good for me, right?" Um I'm never done, and i honestly, in my heart of hearts, I feel like I'm only being used you know as a certain percentage that's not a hundred percent and that changes day to day, but i I always want to grow. I always want to meet meet new people. I always want to. Put myself in more uncomfortable situations so I can normalize those and seek the next uncomfortable situation. I think that I have so i feel in my heart of hearts that I have so much to offer um and there are more ways that I can make an impact you know with, again whether that be on the community or the industry um and so for me, it's always a <laughs> relentless, unquenchable thirst for growth
1: mm, clear that's clear I like it um okay, let's talk about. Meta Prosper, a really cool initiative. And for those in our audience who just don't know about it, will you describe the initiative and kind of what you're doing there and give us some of the highlights? Because I'm really pumped about this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I spent the majority of my career focused on um, building brands and building companies and building the re- revenue lines. And it was always for the general consumer audience, right? But I've never really built anything with more identity involved, you know, for a specific audience, like, you know, my ethnicity, you know, and, um, it, in 2021, I wrote a piece in ad week, which is still, uh, the highest op-ed on ad week today. And it was titled, my people are dying in silence and I'm here with a megaphone. And what that was, was calling out the marketing and advertising industry for not standing with my community in the midst of hate, in the midst of violence, especially after, the summer of 2020 for Black Lives Matter and, you know, from 2017 on for the Me Too movement, the advertising and marketing industry has done so much, you know, to stand with social justice issues. But when it happened to my community, no one was there to be found. And so I wrote that piece. And what that did was uh, galvanize support for the Asian American community, but also really opened the door to have uncomfortable conversations in corporate America by saying, how are we doing better, you know, for the Asian American community? Just as we're doing that for the Black community, just as we're doing that for the female community, and what questions or, or really answers, you know, need to be brought to light. And one of the things that I kept thinking about was how can I use this window and how can I use this opportunity to do more tangibly, not just in my spare time and not just you know, outside of work, but through my work. And one of the things Meta is uniquely capable of doing is supporting small businesses. And if you look at how small businesses were disproportionately affected for the Asian-American community, these businesses were being vandalized. These businesses were being targeted in, in hate crimes. And you know, three out of four businesses in the Asian-American community were admittedly Destined and after these attacks to to fail and not be successful, and so what I thought was, what if we meta can support the community in a way that can make an impact, not just today but moving forward? Asian Americans are the fastest growing community in the United States, um, Half of that being fueled by immigration, and one of the biggest things that immigrants do is start small businesses, and so how are we really planning you know to support these this massive wave of people? You know, in language, with representation, and build trust with them so that not just they use our products, but they find success with it. And so Meta Prosper is really dedicated to the Asian American community to support small businesses, creators, nonprofits, and, and really impact um, the community at large by showing that you caring about your ethnicity isn't something that you do once 5 p.m. hits. It is absolutely something that you should do every single day, every single minute. And here's how we've um decided to do it. And 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 it's been probably one of the most impactful things that honestly I've ever created in my entire career. Just because, again, I think it it represents me not just as a marketer or as a businessman, but it represents me as an Asian American person.
1: Mm, that's amazing. And you know what I love what seems to have been just this idea has now really grown into a movement. Clearly, there's a lot there. I'd love to hear, let's talk about like, what was the moment where this idea became a movement and you're like, we're onto something. Like we are absolutely, the message is hitting, this this amazing Asian American community is responding. What was that moment like? What are some of the things you noticed? Well, I
0: think the biggest thing that that I found that really led us to, to create the first iterations of MetaProsper was, um, I was the executive sponsor for Asian Pacific American heritage month that same year, 2021. And we had these ideas and some of those ideas were translating content that we had already made for, for training small businesses, but translating them in six different languages from Hindi to Tagalog, to Korean, to Mandarin. And what we found was in 2021, that campaign program for APHM was the highest engagement the company saw, but the lowest sentiment. And you ask yourself, why the lowest sentiment? And you go into and look at the, you look at the, the comments and a lot of people were like, I love this so much, but this is just you hitting the window. This is just you hitting the moment. And I realized that there's a appetite and a desire uh, for a long-term everyday program. And the good news for us is that the black community had one, uh, called Meta Elevate that really set the infrastructure for us to, you know, to, to learn from and, and really, you know, borrow in many cases. And I, and I think without the black community and the Latinx community, Meta Prosper wouldn't exist because it's one thing to see the insight. It's another thing to see how you can operationalize it. And and make it and make it a thing. And so I, I I look at that moment when I realized the engagement was high, but the sentiment was low. As there's something here, mm-hmm. and we need to listen to the community to build something more meaningful. Mm.
1: On the on the site, I saw there was something around. You know, the question was like, "What's next? API owned businesses are the heart and soul of our communities. And can you kind of unpack that API owned businesses and how? MetaProsper is supporting and aiming to support and kind of unlock the opportunity for those businesses?
0: You know, I I look at the entrepreneurial spirit of the Asian Pacific Islander community. And in many ways, again, like uh, a lot of us are, are immigrants. And when you're an immigrant, you're not necessarily at equilibrium with other communities, education-wise, um, again, like socioeconomically. And so small businesses are typically, you know, the route. Um, you know, to 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 find more economic success in the country, and so, you know, when I look at that combined with where people congregate, where people gather, it is in these restaurants, it is in these you know these learning centers, it is in these in in these areas that again become more of a heartbeat to the community. You know, I think just pulling back a little bit, Meta, at Meta, we've always said we've always been in the business of small business, and that's because small businesses are what make this country. At least in the American spirit, American dream come true. And I know this from my own grandparents being small business owners and I'm fourth generation Californian. So I'm probably most, I'm probably more American than most people, but they were small business owners. And the dream that they had isn't just an Asian American dream. It's just generally speaking, an American dream period. And so I do think that when I think about the heartbeat of again, the community, all that is, is just, Pumping through the American dream for these people who came to this country to find that. And that goes for every community, to be honest with you. and and I think I don't think the Asian community is unique in this regard, but I think the only thing that does make the Asian American community unique in the regard is that it's not just one language following the American dream. It's a multitude of languages. And that nuance is the evolution of the United States that we need to understand it's one that we need to and i believe that is one that we need to continue to adjust for because again the the e pluribus unum of it is 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 just that from one come you know from many come one and and so i think the more that meta prosper can support that then that means we're doing our job
1: i see that you have this this tool belt that you wear maybe it's more of like a full suit cuz all the brands you've worked on so you can draw from all these experiences and perspective from Gap and Nike and Snap, et cetera. Um, what types of things, what kind of you know, things, strategy or approaches or tactics are you leveraging for MetaProsper that worked within a company like a Nike or a Gap?
0: I think, I think generally speaking, it's, it's about the uncomfortable lessons I had to learn to build business acumen. P&L management, right? P&L management, upward, upward management, um, revenue generation, Like all of these things, a lot of other maybe leaders may have overlooked because they were solely focused on, we need to build this thing for awareness. Absolutely true, right? Fine. I need to build for awareness, but I also need to say how it's going to contribute to the business. I also need to say how it's going to contribute to everybody else's goals that don't look like me. Because if I do that, then they'll care. Yes, I think tangibly they'll care and philosophically they'll care that I'm doing it for the right thing. I'm doing it for the right reasons: representation, support for underrepresented communities. But they also, I also want them to care and advocate for me because I'm driving the bottom line. I'm driving that, and I think working for companies that are so bottom line focused, Nike, Gap, um, have taught me that I don't just need to be a great spokesperson you know, for the work, I need to drive the business forward. And so ruthless PL management um, and a ruthless focus on revenue generation and making sure that it's the right revenue, high trajectory growth, high quality traffic, um, continue to unlock the opportunity to advocate for my community, I continue to unlock the opportunity uh, to represent them in ways that they haven't been represented before.
1: Mm. I've I've spoken to a, a handful of CMOs and, and marketing leaders who who really are still at this intersection of like you know when they're you know quote unquote fighting you know with the board or they're really fighting for their position shifting away from you know marketing being this cost center into marketing being this driver of growth and revenue tell us kind of how your perspective on that and maybe what you think you know other CMOs can do to to get that across and maybe how you've been able to be successful at that because, sure. yeah, to me, that conversation, that narrative is, is becoming, we hear it a lot in the Fortune 100 is like, they're fighting for those things. would love your thoughts on that.
0: Well, I, I I think it's it's understanding the business, right? I think the more that you as a CMO understand how the business makes money, it's your job to to think about how your organization supports how the business makes money. And I learned this in many hard ways. <laughs> um. Take for example, when I was at Gap, I was very focused on brand, very focused on building amazingly beautiful and creative campaigns, and wrongfully assumed that the Gap machine would sell the product because we were we had all these different brands, right, and they had a mach- they had an e-commerce machine just coming along. So I was like, okay, great. I'm just going to focus on the brand, focus on like what I believe they brought me in to do. And that's storytelling and digital and all that stuff. And what I underestimated was how focused they were on that, on that revenue generation. And while we made millions upon millions of dollars, um, it wasn't enough. And I found myself on the other side of a conversation that exited me out of the company. And that was a really hard lesson for me because I realized that it has to be a balance and for me moving forward it will always be a balance when i look at what i've done with both my teams back at meta it isn't just about the shiny storytelling it's about what i'm contributing to the business every single day because that's massively important it's about the roi of it it's about making sure that we're expanding roi channels and yes i think that you could do that for sure while still focusing on on beautiful creative on romantic storytelling and i think The more that we do that as an industry and as leaders in the industry, the more that we'll see that it comes down to control. It comes down to what you can control. And marketers, we control a ton. Chief marketing officer isn't necessarily about, again, the upper. You are in charge of the market flat out. What that means is you're in charge of growing the market. You're in charge of engaging with the market. You're in charge of bringing those insights from the market back into the product so the product gets better. And if you understand all of those things that you can control through your chief marketing officer organization, you realize that there are so many ways you can contribute back to the business and it's your job to exploit those ways. If you're not exploiting them, then you need to evolve quickly because the reality is the asks of us, as chief marketing officers, the asks of us, you know, as as marketers, as a discipline will only increase. (laughs) They're not going to get, we're not going back to just, Hey, write a brief and then send it to the agency. (laughs) And like, that'll be that. that's not going to happen anymore. It's because the data, the tools, the technology, the consumer, it's all evolving. And it's your job as the person in charge of the market to understand all of that.
1: Mm, Well said. Well said. You, you mentioned earlier around just you know, noticing and being a part of, you know, consumer behavior change, right? We have all these different interesting generations that are, you know, the boomers and Gen Z and X and millennials and like how they're engaging with technology. And, and I think you being, of course, at Meta gives you a really interesting perspective into that. And I'm curious about what you're noticing in terms of behavior change across these, you know, different generations and how storytelling is is shifting for you and your team or, or, you know, what's what's changed, with storytelling now that consumer behavior is moving so quickly across different generations? And what are some of the things you're noticing there?
0: I mean, the biggest thing that I'm noticing is that brand loyalty is, is significantly down. Um, I think you have your stable of brands that consumers do love. And I speak specifically for Generation Z here is that they have the brands that they love, that they grew up with, right? But they're not that loyal to them. They're curious they want to know if something's better you know they they want to make sure that whatever they're spending their hard-earned money on is is going to last them it's it's going to serve them in multitude of ways and so yeah they'll love you for a little bit but don't assume that you have them forever it's not like it's not like the days of yesteryear right and so i i, I would say that's the biggest thing i think the second thing that i look at is that like the younger millennial and the older gen z they know how to use the internet. And if you're preaching to them and pandering to them, your social justice values, and don't think that they're going to Google, if that's true, then you're foolish. They will. They'll, will. They'll look at your board of directors as you say how diverse you are. They'll look at your employee base and your ESG reports to see like if this is true. And you don't take account for them. I think gone are the days that you, you can dictate what the, com- what the consumer thinks. Gone are those days. And you assume that they only think what they, you want them to think. I think the consumer is far smarter and far more savvy because of, honestly, this than you actually give them credit for. And so that's why, again, the second to, the, to my original point, they're not as loyal as they used to be. It's because they're just learning more. They're seeing more. We just came from the midterms, right? They want to see who their, corporate, who, who their favorite candidates' corporate packs were. And they will back those. Then they will back those companies, right? Everything aligns to them. Everything is a reflection of them. And that's not something new. I and mean, I'm sure you've had guests that have said that. But the reality is that's only accelerating at a pace that you need to keep up with.
1: What are you doing to double down on loyalty, right? And what are some of the things that you're seeing work well to establish that and anchor that, and even more in a world now, like you said, where people and I see this too, even myself, like I'm loyal to a, to to a degree, but I'm also not die hard with many brands, right? So what are some of the things that are working well to, yeah, to double down on loyalty?
0: I learned a lesson a long time ago when I was at Nike, that every experience that you have with the customer needs to be absolutely premium, that you need to exceed their expectations on a product level, on a customer service level, um, on on a general experience level. You walk into a Nike town, you're blown away, like how great it is, the experiential of it, Right. And you realize that your expectations of going into a store like this were, were not just met, they were exceeded. And therefore you're like, that's, that's delightful. Um, Airbnb, we always talked about the magic of, of the stay, the magic of our customer service. And we always, you know, we always grounded ourselves in that. And so I think you need to understand that the interactions that you have as a brand need to either meet. The quality of the product, or exceed the product quality of the product in nine times out of ten, because you could do all the beautiful magical marketing you could possibly do. But if the product does not meet that expectation, you will fail. Now, if the product is amazing, but the storytelling doesn't meet it, or the customer service doesn't meet it, or the website is super slow, you just did a disservice to your product. Or they go on your, they go on your Twitter, or they go on your Facebook, or they go on your Instagram. And you haven't posted in two weeks. You just did a disservice to your product. Everything, literally every experience the consumer has with you is a product in and of itself. And that product needs to match the quality of the physical core product that you're selling or supersede it.
1: Mm. I love this. This is so good. Awesome. As you're sharing, I'm like, this is like so many great. Micro moments of that just are so relevant to so many, you know, brand marketers and marketing leaders. So, this is just awesome, Eric. Thank you.
0: Hey, hey, I'm, 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 you're, you're asking the questions, man. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm just, I'm here
1: for the ride. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, you're doing great, man. You're doing great. Um, How has Facebook Meta changed since your initial tenure in 2013, right? Putting aside the obvious like tech stack and available tools, et cetera, like what unique marketing opportunities are you seeing with the company now?
0: I just think the level of talent just continues, continues to increase at a pace that I didn't know existed. Like you listed out all those great organizations that I've been a part of, um, and I've been grateful for those. But the level of talent at Meta, One has been surprising to me that they've been able to keep, you know, that, that, that high bar, but make it higher. And that's why I feel so grateful. I've been able to get in twice. Um, but I think the reality is, is that what that does is unlock greater ideas, greater innovation. Um, that you as a marketer, it becomes like you in a toy store. Uh, And you have like, you know, it's like when I grew up, there was like this. Toys R Us toy run and you go through the store and you grab a bunch of toys, whatever you grab is, is yours. And it's like a shopping spree. It's like that when you're surrounded by so much talent and so many ideas and a limitless amount of ambition. And I think that's the biggest change for me is that back then we were 500 people. Now we're thousands right? And so you're just surrounded by so much talent that could input. You show them a problem, they're like, here's 20 ways you could solve it. And you're like, that's crazy, right? So I'm very grateful for that change for sure because one, it's just you feel like you know, you're know Dr. Strange in many ways and you could see the different scenarios and different outcomes playing out because you just have that kind of talent around you. And I, and I think that's a, a massive, massive advantage to have.
1: At what point in your career did the shift for you go from you know, marketer, contributor to marketing leader, right? What was that moment in time for you? And then the second part of that would be, you know, what are you, what are you doing now in this, you know, this interesting time that we're in where employee experience seems to be as equal to a customer experience, right? I mean, retention and recruiting is huge, it's not going away. Yeah. Um, where was that for you? And what are you doing kind of about it now?
0: Oh, I think to answer your last, your, you know, the, the last question first, you know, your employees are your greatest customers. They should be your greatest advocates. And I've always thought that. I've always said, if you're not enabling your employees to talk about the product firsthand, then you're doing a disservice to the product. The reality is that the consumer cares about people who created the product too. It's a different dynamic than, than decades before. Like You don't know who created you know, the cars that you drove two decades ago. You know exactly who, who, who created your electric car today. You know, exactly, right? And you follow the engineers that built them on Twitter. You follow the marketers and comms people that, you know, that brought it to life. And it becomes very much like, you know, you following a sports team. You want to know all the players because you want to know how it came to life. And so I think the employee base and and your employees are, are, are and should be your biggest advocates because your consumers care about that. To the first part that you asked is when I... When I became a leader versus just a marketer, it was when I had to let go of the, you know, my first team, I had to let go of a couple of people. And it was one of the more difficult moments in my career. You know, obviously I was a a part of a business that was changing and with change, you know, unfortunately teams get smaller, teams get bigger. My team was getting smaller back then and I had to let go of two people. And I remember thinking in my head, I don't, I don't know how, what to do. And I, I cried in the conference room, uh, for about an hour and I called my first manager I've ever had and I asked him, walk me through what I'm supposed to do right now. Cause I don't know what I'm supposed to think. And he just kept talking about you have to make decisions in your career. You have to stand by your decisions. You have to stand by the business decisions. But it's, that's, that's as far as that goes. You have the ability to, to now. Show up for your team that is still around, but also show up for the people in case they need help that are no longer with the business. And that's called being a leader, Eric. And as I realized, as I was going through that transformation, what I was saying to my team resonated far more than just, this is what we have to do today, but more so, this is what we're going to do in the months and years ahead. And I remember I tweeted (laughs) I, I tweeted some of my thoughts about the business and about where I, where I'm taking my team at least. And I realized kind of what I said before, um, people who loved the product loved what I was saying. They found it helpful to bring it to their business. They, they told me they screenshot it and put it in decks for them. And I realized that I can at least looking like I do coming where I'm from. Um, I can represent, you know, a small piece of the community and the people that that choose to do what I do in it.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Wow, as you described that scene, I'm like, could see you in the, you know, in the in the boardroom by yourself, you know, it, literally in this this incubation period that was about there was, there was a shift where you're going from, I love that. I mean, that's just a clear, like you crossed over of like having to do a really hard thing that's never easy. Um, and then get back to, okay, you know, what's next in the on the, on the playbook? And I think that's yeah, really beautiful. Um, there's a lot of talk, of course, you'll probably, you know not a this is not unheard of in your world either, but a lot of talk we're hearing from marketing executives and and people around the economic and financial pressures, right? The geopolitical pressures, the things that are coming down the pipeline where businesses are just having to do more with less. Um, And it seems to be kind of moving in that trajectory. What are your thoughts on that kind of anecdotally? Maybe what's the narrative? What's the message for, you know, customers, consumers um, from, you know, how Meta is approaching that, this world that we're heading into, would just love your thoughts on that.
0: I think generally speaking, I think constraints are a good thing. And for many businesses, there hasn't been a ton of constraints, you know, over the past 10 years. And I remember thinking about this. I joined... I started my career in 2008, um, which was obviously one of the biggest recessions Mm -hmm. in the history of the United States. And I dropped out of law school and I applied to, I don't know, it seemed like 200 jobs. It probably was 200 jobs, actually. I had a spreadsheet. And the only job that answered me back was a company called Facebook. And I joined Facebook at that time. And it was, again, fairly small. But the constraints that Facebook had was... There were five other companies bigger than it. Um, It didn't have total market share like it does today or anything like that, or even close to that. Um, But those constraints create more innovative ideas on how you go to market, on the products that you create, uh, the the differing and dynamic consumer behavior that other companies are creating for their consumers. And so I think that those constraints are where innovation comes from, for sure. Right. And if you look at the companies that were started in 2008, that are still around today, they don't start without constraints. You know, they do not start without constraints. Um, Airbnb does not start without constraints that, you know, hotels were sold out because people were people were laying off hotel workers. And so to make a buck, Brian and Joe, they put an air mattress on, on Craigslist that becomes Airbnb. Those constraints don't exist. I mean, those innovations don't exist without constraints. And so I look at this time, this moment in time, while it's different for me because um, I've just seen so much in my career, I am opportunistic about the constraints and what comes from them. Because I do think that pressure, that push um, to figure things out and think a little bit harder is very different than, all right, Eric, what are you going to do next? What are you gonna do next? Like, yeah, here's a a check and I want you to think about where you think we need to go. This constraint is, what do we absolutely need to do today? (laughs) And how do we do it in the most efficient way possible? Mm. That's a good constraint if you ask me.
1: Mm. That's great. So Eric, according to Salesforce, user-generated content saw a 14% year-on-year growth in 2022, but still trails influencer and pre-produced video in terms of adoption. Are we experiencing a slight decline in user trust for this type of content? Does this trend hold true for Metaprosper's target audience? Tell us about that.
0: No, uh, I, I I think if you look at like if you pull back, um, user generated content is, is is still on the up. Like from the moment you gave a two way conversation to people, right? I think what we're seeing right now is a slight decline because I just think that I'm that they have so much choice of where to put that where to, where to put that content. I think we're also seeing that a lot of people are creating content and putting it in private chats i think if you look at the usage growth of of, of whatsapp and other messaging services that is that is up right so things are happening in a more closed environment which makes a ton of sense um i think when it comes to meta prosper we rely heavily on word of mouth i think that's one of the biggest things when you create something for the community you want the community to talk about it when you're not in the room and I, and I do think that's happening quite a bit. I think that's how people are finding us in, in many cases from chambers of commerce, from neighborhood meets up, meetups to, you know, take last May, I was in the White House and on, and on the floor of the Senate, you know, talking about Meta Prosper, not blasting it out or anything like that, but those were all conversations and word of mouth. You know, a lot of politicians and, and, and led, uh, and elected officials advocate on, on our behalf. For us to their constituents. And so I think word of mouth certainly depends on who it's coming from, but luckily for me, it's coming from people who really care.
1: Mm. Okay. Last two, twofold. What does a successful 2023 look like for MetaProsper? And what does a successful 2023 look like for Eric Tota?
0: <laughs> I think it's successful 2023 looks like for Metaprosper is that we continue to, to reach more small businesses and, and help them, um, help them survive, especially, you know, in this economic climate. Uh, I want to make sure that, you know, The nuances of the community are absorbed into MetaProsper. So we are we are representing more South Asians. Um, We are representing, you know, the multiple nuances within the South Asian community, whether it be speaking in in Hindi or Tamil, you know, and and the multitude of languages that that we obviously need to support Um, and making sure, too, that we continue to advance, you know, our agenda with with nonprofits. I think not nonprofits traditionally and historically are underserved. Uh, specifically in our community when it comes to awareness, when it comes to funding. So if we can help with that um, and help them advance and make an impact, then shoot, we did our job, right? I think what what a successful 2023 looks like for me um, is that all those things are satisfied for sure. But I think the biggest thing for me is that the people that I work with every single day have better trajectories than when the year started. Um, I work with some of the most talented people in the entire world. And I'm grateful that I, I get to do that with them. And I want to make sure that the work that we're doing together is filling their creative cup. You know, I talked about my creative cup earlier in the conversation and just to round it all back, you know, I think I want to make sure that they are fulfilled, they are satisfied and they have an infinite passion to grow as well. And, you know, I think that if I can unlock more of that behavior with with more people, I do think our industry has a, you know, has a great future ahead of it.
1: Fantastic. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on Marketing Trends. This conversation course, was insightful, inspiring, man. How can people find you online? Where do you, where can people find you? Is Twitter, the best way. I make it really easy for everybody. Uh, every social platform. Uh, my handle
0: is just at Toda at T O D A. DMs are open. If I can be helpful to you, please let me know. And and yeah, you like just just here for you, here for you all.
1: Thank you, Eric. Appreciate you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. To helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.